We're going to be over in James chapter 5 this morning. Good worship time, wasn't it? I'll tell you what, that's, that's good things. If you have a testimony, something that God does to you during worship, make sure you let us know. Let an usher know. We'll make sure that people hear about that before you even get out of here in the day. We're going to be over in James chapter 5. I may have shared this story with you before. I didn't have time to, uh, didn't take the time to go and check this out. But there was a few letter that was written. It made the national news about a deceased person in the state of Indiana. It was from the Department of Social Services, and it read as follows. Your food stamps will be stopped effective March 1992 because we have received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if there is a change in your circumstances. How many of you all know that is not a very effective letter? <laughs> that is a, a letter that is kind of detached from reality, from the things that are going on. We've been telling you for a couple of weeks now we're going to get into a series, Five Minutes to Effective Prayers. Too often we have left ourselves with the notion, with the belief that in order for my prayers to be effective, I need to pray for a half hour, for an hour, for two hours. That if I'm not praying for hours a week, I'm not a prayer warrior. I'm not effective at what I do. So we want to spend some time to help you all out and understand from the Word of God that effective prayers can be very short. Very often, long prayers are ineffective. And you're going to see why as we get into the Word of God. It's a whole lot easier to spend two minutes, three minutes, five minutes on a thing than be effective than it is to spend hours and not feel like you did anything. So we want you to see some things from the Word of God on this. And in James chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we've heard that verse very often, most of the last part of that verse. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you feel like your prayers don't avail a whole lot? That sometimes it seems like you pray about things and nothing changes. That availing much for you would be to get some one thing answered in a week. To see one thing changed, one thing strengthened. But that's not necessarily effective. But we can get used to such an ineffective rate that anything could be considered to be effective. So we want to break this verse down and look at some other areas. We're just really going to introduce what we're going to get into here today. It starts out here, confess your trespasses to one another. And that's not something that we, we do a whole lot, that we spend a whole lot of time on, is it? Confess our trespasses to one another. Why should we confess our trespasses to one another? I thought we were supposed to confess our sins to God. Is this getting into what some people do where they go to a priest and they confess and they tell them what there is, they're, they're doing wrong? Why is it that I should confess my sins to another person, to another believer? Well, the reason that you should confess your sin to another believer is if you're having a problem with that sin and haven't overcome it. Why would you ask for someone in your household for help. If you need to move a box, if you need to reach something that's high, why would you ask someone to help? If you need to kill a spider. How many times have we, we've called for help for some of these things, right? 
Why would we call for help? Because it's something we feel that on our own we can't do. And so we call for someone else to come in and to help us in that. When you confess your trespasses to one another, it's when you have found that you by yourself are ineffective in dealing with the trespass. And you need to confess it to someone else so that they know and they can keep tabs on you and they can help you overcome it. Should we confess everything? No. What should we confess? You should, if you had, if you sinned against another brother or sister in the Lord, you should confess that to them if they are involved or if other people are involved. If you sinned against another brother or sister and no one knows about it but you, let me give you some really good advice. Hush. There is no reason, no reason to tell anybody about it. If it was just between you and no one else, then you go to God and you confess it to God. Why shouldn't I confess it to them? Because they don't know that you did it. And so why in the world cause some hardship on their, on their part? Don't you just love it? I mean, I've had this happen to me. Maybe you've had it happen to you. Somebody comes up to you and says, I need to confess a sin to you. I had this thought about you. And then you're going from there. Why did they have that thought? What did I do? Now you're in bondage. <laughs> Now you're going around wondering, what did I do? What? There's no reason for that. That's not going to help anybody out. It's just somebody trying to be super spiritual. But if you involved another person and you told them or said something or somehow involved them in this sin that you did against the person, then you may need to go and clear that up before they hear about it from the other person or through the grapevine or where it is that they're going. That's why you should confess that one. But you don't have to go and and confess all those things. If it's between you, no one else, just you and God, then confess it before God, shake it off, and get going. You don't need to do all that other stuff. But confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Well, I've got one more thing. Do, when we confess things, do we confess them to others? Do we confess them to God? If you have a sin and God tells you, your, your heart convicts you of the sin, then you confess it to God. God, I messed up. There's a teaching that's going around. And uh, we were talking about it some on Wednesday night. And uh, if you're not here on Wednesday nights, we get into stuff after the service ends that it's not on any of the recordings. And uh, you have to be here for that stuff. But uh, we will, because it's a discussion, you know, it's, some things are going on. But we were talking about some of that in the room. And there is a teaching that's going around that tells people you don't have to confess your sins anymore to God. Now, I hope that's new to you. <laughs> And that you don't know it. But there is a teaching that goes on that tells people you don't need to... A brother that we brought out here to church a long time ago fell into it. And um, he didn't receive the rebukes he was getting from all the other brothers and sisters. But they firmly believe, I don't need to confess my sins before God. I don't need to waste my prayer time confessing sins before God. And they bypass First John 1, 9 saying that's not for Christians. I'm not sure how you get by that. But anyway, that's what they do. Just understand that teaching is out there. That grace covers it all. Now, if you messed up and your heart convicts you that you sin, go before God and say, God, I messed up. <laughs> and God says, all right, let's go on for this thing and get it all taken care of. If you may have had a sin with other people, you did something against them, then go to that person and confess it as well. Straighten it up with them. And then go on and, and fix it up. But then he goes on. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, we are to pray for one another. So... If we're to pray for one another, how are we supposed to pray for each other? How many of you ever heard people pray for other Christians? I mean, some of it's kind of funny. Some of it's almost laughable. It's kind of like 
if you take a smartphone and give it to a novice? You ever done that? Give it a smartphone, a phone that is capable of doing so much more than receive a phone call. And you give it to somebody who doesn't know anything about phones, they won't even be able to dial it. I heard one of our uh, governing officials was given an iPhone because he needed to make a phone call and he couldn't figure out how to make it work. <laughs> Why? He doesn't use it. But if, you, if you give something that is a very powerful thing and you put it in the hands of someone who doesn't know how to use it, what's going to happen? not going to get a whole lot out of it. Would you give a chainsaw to a four-year-old? That's a very powerful tool. Probably the four-year-old wouldn't use it the way it should be. And you wouldn't do that. But sometimes, you know, we, we are given these, we have these great tools. We can pray for each other. And we use them in ridiculous ways. We use them in ways that are not, they're not intended. Why? Because we don't read the instruction book. Now, I don't know how, how many gadget guys do we have? Gadget guys or gadget gals? Guys or gals who just like gadgets? Anybody? I'm the only one. All right, a couple of them. I love gadgets. I could have a hobby of just gadgets. I, I just, I, I enjoy them so much. I can pick up a gadget and get it functional within five minutes without reading any instructions, without reading the manual, without doing anything. I can get it to work. I just, I'm, I have a knack with gadgets. There are a lot of things I don't have a knack for, but that's one. I can work those things. Cars, I don't have a knack for cars. Some of you guys have a knack for cars. You can hear what's going on. You can figure it out. I can tell whether it needs gas and whether it needs oil and if the tire is low. I found that out on my car this morning, my truck. I was driving on out here and my, uh, thank God for computers, flashes up on the screen, your tire is low, 11 pounds of pressure. Turned around, went on home, pumped it up full of air, then took the other car. <laughs> you know, there's some things I'm, I don't have a knack for. But gadgets I have a knack for. If you put a gadget in my hand and you don't know how to work it, I can probably get you functional on that thing. But if I were to take the manual and read the manual, I could get it to do a whole lot more because there are things that are not obvious about how you use a particular gadget and what you make that gadget do. And if you get into the manual and you figure out what it's supposed to do, oh, I tell you what, you can do all sorts of stuff. How many like the remote control era? You like remote controls? Do you like having a remote control for your CD player and a remote control for your receiver and a remote control for your DVR and a remote control for your VCR and a remote control for your TV and a remote control for your lights and a remote control for your fan? I mean, there are remote controls all over the place and you got 50 of them out there on the table and you got to, this isn't the right one. I need this one. That one doesn't have any batteries in it. We have so many problems with the remote controls and then to figure it out. And, you know, now that we're in the high tech age, we have the TV, we have the stereo system and, you know, the, all the different things that can happen. You have the VHS machine. You got the DVR machine. And so I went out. And I had the brilliant idea. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a universal remote control. And so I got a universal remote control. And I was happy about this because I programmed that remote control that all you had to do, if you wanted to come in and watch a DVD, you pushed one button. And it would, and I would tell it what order to do. You turn the TV on. You turn the DVR on. You turn the stereo receiver on. You switch the stereo receiver over to receive the signal from the DVD machine and you t tell the TV what to do with its sound and you tell the all, the, all the, the volume instead of controlling the TV and now controls the receiver and all that. All you got to do is push one button and it does all that. Isn't that great? 
And then if you want to, you know, switch back over to TV, you hit one button and bang, it does it all. So I got this one remote control and it was a, that was a nice fancy one. I showed it to my wife because she said, I got it for, I can figure out all this stuff. And she wasn't happy. She didn't like it. She said, that's ridiculous. There's no reason for it. And the thing broke within two months. Yeah, but fortunately, I got a uh, warranty on it, sent it on back to them, and they gave me a money, all my money back, the whole thing back. So I went out to try and find, let's find a better remote control. So I went over to the store, and uh, one of the best buy places, and I said, what kind of remote controls do you have? This is the kind I had before. It didn't last very long. Oh, yeah, those ones aren't real good. It will take you over to this one. Well, this one costs $700, and then you had to pay $450 to have someone show up and program in it. And if you ever change any of the components, you have to pay $450 to have the entire thing reprogrammed. I said, thank you very much. I'm going to continue to look. And I just went, and we don't need that. So I went back and got the old cheap one, except I got a cheaper one than I got the first time. And, uh, and what you can do is you program it on, my, on your own computer. And I tell it what it to do, and I can make it do all those things. So now we have that sitting out there. Everybody's used to it. So if you want to watch a DVD, you hit the DVD button. If you want to watch the TV and have it come through the speakers, you hit another button. And so we have it all programmed to do this sort of stuff, and it's just simple. And, but, you know, some folks, they don't want to go through all the problems of programming that and making it do all that. And having it, they don't, they don't, they don't want to read all the manuals. They just want it to work. How many have been there? I just want it to work. I just want to turn the TV on and I want to sit down and I want to watch it. And that's all I want to do. And sometimes we have that attitude. But if someone in the house doesn't take the attitude that we got to get this thing working, then no one's going to be able to sit back there and watch it, are they? Someone's got to do that. The reason that dinner comes out at nighttime is because someone followed the instructions, someone made everything, all the equipment in the house work to produce a dinner. It didn't just show up. But a lot of times Christians want to show up in the prayer room and think, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and God should know my heart and it should just work. We want to pick up a smartphone and say, well, it should just do what I want it to do. It's a smartphone. How come it's not smart enough to know what I want it to do? No, you got to know what to tell the phone to do. You got to know how to, re, to to program the microwave. I mean, microwaves are doing a whole lot more than popcorn anymore. And you got to know what the you got to go over the manual. You got to read the instructions. You got to figure out all right, how's all this stuff work? What to do? Well, there's some instructions that come with prayer. And if the thing doesn't work that you have in the house, most times we go back to the instruction manual, but not with prayer. If prayer doesn't work the way we think it ought to work, then we just keep on going. We just keep doing the same thing. We just keep praying the same way. Well, this is the only way I know how to pray. But it's not working. It's ineffective. Well, yeah, but that's all I know what to do. Well, what should you do? Go to the manual. Pick up the manual and figure it out. Find out what's going on. But what happens is a lot of Christians pray longer and harder and louder and earlier, and later, trying to tap into what is the key. Is it early? Is it late? Is it long? Is it loud? Is it out loud? Is it outside? Is it inside? Is it in church? What, what do I need? Do I have to have my Bible open when I'm praying? What's, maybe worship music, put some worship music on. Maybe that helps when I'm praying. And we're doing all this stuff instead of just reading the instructions. Just got to read the instructions. We have an instruction manual that teaches us how to pray. Now, who was one of the instrumental people in putting all this together? I would say Jesus was. 
Look at how long Jesus' prayers are. He prays short. A couple of times he prayed long. Most times he prayed short. He's very effective. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. How many know this translation by heart? I think it's a horrible translation. I think when you read this, you get an entirely different idea of prayer. You get an idea that you are, you are fervent. You are inter, you are, you are pushing through. You are trying. You are doing everything that you can. You are focused. You are going on with this thing. No, that's not really it. So we want to break this down and help us out a little bit. But when we are praying for one another, when we're praying for our, our brothers and sisters, what are we praying for? A lot of times, if you listen to Christians praying for other believers, you hear things like, you know, uh, oh, Father God, I pray that no storms would come to their life, that no problems and no temptations would come near them. I've heard Christians pray this about other people. That's an unscriptural prayer. That's someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Anybody ever try surfing? If you stand on the boardwalk in Ocean City and you look out, you find a lot of surfers out there. And if you watch them, you're going to understand something. They know what they're doing. If you watch a TV show and you see the guys out in Hawaii, first off, you think they're nuts. After that, you think they know what they're doing. You better know what you're doing because if you wipe out, there's Carl underneath waiting to grind you up to a pulp. And guys have been uh, chopped up on the bottom if you don't know what you're doing. Those are guys that are really going after it. They know what they're doing. And when they know what they're doing, it makes... Doesn't it look easy? I mean, surf, it looks easy. I don't know how to surf. Never been on a surfboard? I'm not tempted to go out and try right now? It's, it's, but when you know what you're doing, when you get the instruction and you learn how to, to do all that, you can ride the wave and they have lots of fun. But we've got to find that out. First off, what are we praying for when we're talking with other, other believers? Well, we are not to be praying for them to be delivered from the storms, but to get through the storms. We're not to pray for temptation to be removed, but to be strengthened to resist it. These are things that we should do. But a lot of times we just want to pray. Well, why? Because I just think that's the way God ought to operate. I think that's the way that you ought to go. Well, you might think that, but that's not what God says. And we could spend more time on that and we will down the road here. But in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. Temptation will come, and some will fall away. You need to pray that they're strengthened. See, if those folks were strengthened, if they had root, they would have been okay. Well, let's go on here. There was a, uh, there was a line that... Uh, person who was an assistant pastor in the church gave, talked about a senior pastor he worked under. He said, uh, one time the senior pastor came to him and he said that I was about to receive a pay increase. And he's feeling real good about that. And he said, now, that pay increase will become effective as soon as you are. <laughs> Being effective helps, doesn't it? We've got to be effective. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now the word effective and fervent, both of these words come from one word. 
It is from the Greek word energeo. It means to be active, efficient, to be mighty in a force that is energizing. It means to be active, efficient, to be mighty in a force that is energizing. I want to give you a couple of other places, a number of other places where it's used. These are all in your outline. Matthew 14, 2. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. Or they, they said to the servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. Therefore, these powers are at work in him. Speaking of Jesus, these powers are at work. The word their work is the same word. These powers are at work in him. These powers are energizing him. Romans 7, 5. And when we were in the flesh and sinful passions were, which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. How many of you remember when sin was at work in your members? When it was actively doing things to stimulate you to sin, to do things that were wrong. That's the same word there for the word work. Ephesians 2 and verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The spirit who now works, the exact same word is used, the spirit who now energizes the sons of disobedience. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 6. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Same word there for works. It is the same God who is the force behind, who is energizing the gifts, the diversities of activities. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, energizes all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. 2 Corinthians 1, 6, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective, there's the word, for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer, or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. It is effective. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective. It is empowering for enduring the same. Galatians 5 and verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love or faith energized through love. Ephesians 1 verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, which he energized in Christ. Ephesians 3 verse 20, now to him who was able to do exceedingly above, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, according to the power that energizes us. The power that energizes us. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the works of God, which also effectively works in you who believe, energizes you who believe. You see what this word is speaking about? It is speaking about when power comes in and energizes you. We have a brand of battery that is named after this. Little Energizer Bunny. 
What is it about the Energizer Bunny in the advertisement? He is constantly energized. He is going because of the force that is in him, which is the Energizer battery. That's what the kind of picture you need to have. The Energizer battery inside that little rabbit going around beating the drum. He is energized because of the force that is in him. The energy is not the rabbit. It is the force inside the rabbit. And what the Word of God tells us here is that this force is at work in you. Before you had another force working in you to do sin. But now you got this one. And this one is there to energize you, to empower you, to do something good for you. How many of y'all know that when you go out to eat, there are some foods that make you feel energized? And there are some foods that don't. And they differ for different people. Different people like different kinds of food than, than other folks. I have certain kinds of food that I like and certain kinds of foods that I don't. We were having a discussion over at hockey on Tuesday night because, you know, when you play hockey, I mean, you're going full sprints for two, three hours. That's all you do is just sprint up and down, nothing but sprints, just running, running, running. And you have to be real careful with what you eat because there are some foods that you may like, but they may not like being in your stomach while you're running full sprints up and down. And we were talking about that and they, and they said, you know, certain foods. He said, that one guy he says, I hardly eat anything. Says, yes. I said, yeah, but if I don't eat anything, then I get a little unenergized as the night goes on. But he's, you know, we, there are certain foods that you find out. How many of y'all know there are certain foods that when you're active, they're good in your stomach and there are certain foods that when you're active, they are not good in your stomach because it's something on the inside of you that's empowering you or holding you back. And so when he talks about the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it is using this word, which means to energize. So another way we could translate this is the energized prayers of a righteous man avail much. Does that change the meaning of it for you a little bit? The energized prayers of a righteous man avail much. Now, I read a whole lot of scriptures to you, but I read the whole lot of scriptures for you for this reason. I didn't read them all. This word is used in 19 different verses. We didn't read all 19, but we read a lot of them. I've read it for you for this reason. In every one of those verses, when it's using this word, it is always talking about some other force coming inside and empowering. And every time that that was going on, same thing here. It is talking about another force that comes inside of you and empowers you in your prayers. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or the energized prayers of a righteous man avail much. But they're energized. By what? By the Spirit of God that's on the inside. By the Holy Spirit that comes on the inside of us. How many times have we thought, I can't pray effectively because I don't know the Bible? I don't know the Bible. Because I don't know the Bible, I can't pray effectively. Well, if, if that's the case, you think, well, I, don't, I haven't been a Christian very long. I don't know the Bible. I can't pray very effectively. No, it's the same Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit lose His power of understanding the Scripture when He comes in you? It's the same Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit comes on the inside of people that are new and people that are old. He empowers you. 
He comes up on the inside and he tells you, this is how you pray. This is what you do. He tells you through the word. He tells you through the things that come up on the inside of you. And you pray them because he speaks them to you. What's the Holy Spirit doing for you in the area of prayer? Is he helping you out? What happens is a lot of people tap into what makes sense, what I think should work. But that's not necessarily how it goes. If you bought something from, you know, Amazon, went on Amazon, you found this really neat thing and you ordered it and you brought it in and it didn't quite work the way you wanted it to work, you would first off consult the manual. How is it supposed to work? What am I supposed to do with this? How do I get it to go? We don't just send it back. I wanted it to work the way it was supposed to work. And so we, we, we try and work on that. Sometimes we go up on the company's website. Maybe they got a video that shows me how to do it. That's quicker, isn't it? Better than reading. The Holy Spirit comes down on the inside of you and empowers you to pray. And He causes you to be effective in your prayers. You are not ineffective. But how is it that we can get that energy to go? Have you ever put batteries, even if they're Energizer batteries, ever put batteries into a product and it didn't work? What's one of the first things you do? See if you put them in right. (laughs) Haven't we put batteries in wrong before and one of the connectors is off? You, You take it apart, you look at it. Did I put the batteries in right? Are they going in the right direction? That may be a bad thing. You know, you might have the positive at the negative and the negative at the positive. You, you pull the batteries out. You check to make sure. And if that doesn't work, then you check to make sure that the batteries are empowered. That they're, they're working. You may grow, go and grab some other ones and put them in. Let's see how these guys do. You don't just throw the thing out. There's an empowering that's there. And God wants to empower your prayers. The effective, fervent prayer or the empowered prayers of a righteous man avail much. When it says here a righteous man, some of us may think, well, I'm not very righteous. Have you ever thought that? I mean, I just blew it yesterday and the day before that and I had these thoughts and I did these things. And I ever thought, I'm not very righteous. Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We have been made to be the righteousness of God in him. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sometimes we stop there. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Verse 19. But certainly God has heard me. (laughs) He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. God wants to hear your prayers. And the word of God tells us that we know that if he hears us, we have the thing that we ask. But we need to go before him and pray. We need to let the Spirit of God empower our prayers. How is he going to empower your prayers? Is he just going to overwhelm you and take over your mouth and make you say things? No, what the Holy Spirit does is he instructs you in the Word of God. He enlightens the Word of God for you. He brings things to mind that you didn't know before or you did know and just forgot. And you're praying, how do I need to pray about this thing? And you go through the Word of God. And you, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this thing over here. There's this thing over here. We find out what the Word of God has to say about it. 
Unfortunately, what a lot of Christians do and why their prayers are ineffective, instead of spending a little bit of time to find out what does the word say about how I should pray this, most times we go to God because we have a problem. God, I got a problem. Oh, man, it's a bad problem. Oh, and this is going on and this and it's bad this way and if this doesn't change, it's going to go here. And, and we sit there and we complain about the problem. We're not praying to God. We're not asking God anything. He's sitting there saying, they're going to, are they going to ask anything? I already know all this stuff. I was watching the whole thing. But we're not asking anything. We're not tapping into the Word of God. We've got to give Him an opportunity. We've got to give Him that way to, to make it work. If you've got a remote control, and how many of you all know those remote controls, they, one of the ways they work is you've got to punch in the number of your machine. And they give you this big book in really tiny print. And you gotta go on there and, alright, I gotta, I gotta Samsung TV. What's the model number? You gotta go behind the TV and find out what the model number is of your TV. And then you find the model number and you get on down there and you're trying to find it. And, oh, was that a Q or an O on the model? I can't, and you gotta go back and look at the TV again and find out. And you're going back and forth trying to get this model number. And then finally get the model number and you get it right and you punch in the number. And now the remote control knows the TV. And it'll send the right signals. But what if you just, well, I don't want to go through all that. I'm just going to type in a number. 25679. I like that number. I'm going to put that one in. And it doesn't work. <laughs> well, you don't have the right code. You didn't look it up. Now, see that remote control I got? I don't got to know numbers. All I got to do is go online. I say, I have a Samsung TV and it's this, uh, it's this big. And generally, it finds it for me. <laughs> It does all that for Never had to find a number for any of that stuff. It goes out there and it finds it. Oh, you want this one. Pulls the right number in, tells it to the remote control. Glory to God. And didn't have to spend $450 to have somebody come out and do it either. The effective, fervent prayer or the empowered prayer of a righteous man avails much. If the devil can get in your head and tell you you're not righteous, he can disqualify you from praying. But first off, Jesus Christ has made you righteous. And after that, he said, your heart will convict you in First John. He said, brethren, if our heart does not convict us, we have peace before God. If you have peace before God, what are you? I'm righteous. If God wants to correct me about something, I listen to him and he corrects me. But stop letting your mind tell you what's wrong when you're in prayer. Let your spirit tell you when it happens. The spirit of God will tell you. Steve, you blew it over here. You shouldn't have done that. Oh, yeah, I sure did. I'm sorry. I, I need to... Change that. And we go on and we change it. But it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If the Spirit of God comes, this is regarding iniquity. Because sometimes we think, Well, I don't know. I may have missed it like two weeks ago. And I don't know. And I'm regarding iniquity. No. You know what regarding iniquity is? When the Holy Spirit comes up to you, when Jesus comes up to you, when the Word comes up to you, and it tells your spirit, This is what's going on. And your spirit says, Oh, yeah, I missed it there. And we say, I'm not paying attention to that. That's regarding iniquity. Because that means I know something is wrong and I am ignoring it. That's regarding iniquity. If you don't know you did anything wrong, if you don't know there's any sin between you and God, then pray away and stand on the righteousness of Jesus because you have been made righteous in Him. And the devil wants to come and get you. You've got to tell him, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not my righteousness, it's His. And I stand before my father, pure and clean. Get out of here, devil. And you come after him. 
So here's the question. How do I become effective? How do I become empowered? In Philemon, I put in there chapter 1, verse 6, but there is only one chapter. In Philemon, in verse 6, it says, that the sharing of your faith may become effective. That's that same word there, empowered. That the sharing of your faith may become empowered by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. How many have ever wanted to share your faith? How many feel like it's not empowered? That is not effective. Right here is your help. That the sharing of your faith may become effective or empowered. How? How is the sharing of my faith? How are things empowered? It says right here. By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. By the, the word here, acknowledgement, it is the Greek word epignosis. Gnosis, you may recognize, that's the word for knowledge, but this is a higher type of a knowledge. This is, I, I put it in your outline for you, it depicts a well-instructed, instructed, intensive, deep knowledge of the facts. Paul is letting you know that it is essential for you to possess. It is a well-instructed, intensive, deep knowledge of the facts. Are there certain topics that you know really well? Some of you know sewing. Some of you know cooking. Some of you know knitting. I know nothing of knitting and sewing and don't desire to. I only desire to take my sewing to a person who sews and have them sewn. I don't want to learn about the machine. I don't want to learn about the, the string. I don't want to learn about yarn. I don't want to learn about needles. I don't want to know the difference between a crochet needle and a knitting needle. I don't want to know it. But thank God that some people do because there are probably some things I have that are crocheted or some things I have that are knitted. But I don't want to know that. So there's some things I'm, I'm ignorant on. How many of you are okay with being ignorant on some things? How many of you are ignorant on football and glad of it and <laughs> proud of it? I'm proud of not don't know anything about football. And other people know a whole lot about football. But, you know, there's certain areas, certain topics that we would describe as epignosis. I am well-trained on this particular topic. And what he's saying here in this verse is that the sharing of your faith may become effective, empowered, by the acknowledgement, by the well-trained, understanding, knowledge of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. How many of you, if I were to say right now on a piece of paper, write down for me, all the good things that are in you in Christ Jesus. How many of you get past five? <laughs> How far could you get? If you, if, you, if you need to sit down there and think about all the good things that God has put in you through Christ Jesus, how far could you get? Well, if you're sitting there thinking, trying to figure, do I have even five? Guess what? You are not well trained on this topic. Because if you were well-trained on this topic, you'd be able to spit it out. You'd be able to know exactly what's going on. If you are well-trained on a topic and I said to you, what is the difference between a crochet needle and a knitting needle? You'd be able to rattle it right off, wouldn't you? Well, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, and this. And you'd be able to go right on down. What's the difference between this kind of sewing and this kind of sewing? Well, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. What's the difference between this kind of cooking and this kind of cooking? Well, it's... And you go right on down. And you could be able to, to tell 
and list out all that sort of stuff. Have you ever seen some of those food people? If, if you give them some food, they can tell you all the stuff that's in it. It's got a little bit of this and a little bit of this and some of this and there's some of this. And it's real butter. It's not margarine. And, and it'll just go right on down just from tasting it. I can't do that. I'm not well trained in that. But some people who are can just rattle those things off. You need to become well-trained. If you want to become effective in sharing your faith, if you want to become effective in praying, if you want to have this empowering going on, you need to be well-trained in this kind of knowledge. What has God put on the inside of you? You need to know it. Because you don't know it, the enemy comes in and sells you on another bill of goods. You don't follow after the things that God has for you. Well, I think I put this in your outline for you. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. You need to know who you are. Not who you are, but who you are in Him. There is a difference between who you are and who you are in Him. Brother Hagin used to tell us when we were going to school there, he said one of the best studies you can do in the Word of God is to go through and find all the scriptures that talked about in Him, in whom, and through whom, and all the different things. And he put out a whole book on it, a little mini book, in Him. And then at the end, he put all the scriptures in there telling you who you are in Him. So you can sit there and meditate on all the things you are. I mean, it's a short book. You can read it in a day. You can read it every day for a while. In Him, I am this. In Him, I am that. By Him, I am this. Through Him, I am this. And all these things can just rattle off of your mouth. Know who you are in Christ Jesus. Know what is yours because of Jesus. You've got to know what is yours. There's a whole lot of people who don't know what is theirs. They think, well, I need to ask if God will do this for me. No, God said he, it's yours. It is already yours. When you were at home growing up in the house, and if there was milk in the refrigerator, did you ask, can I have some milk? Did you ask, can I have some cereal? Do you mind if I make up some tuna fish? Do you mind if I have a peanut butter and jelly? Did you ask those things? What did you do? You went in and you got the milk. You went in and you got the cereal. You just went in and got it because it's yours. It's in the house. You're in the house. It's yours. It's yours to be had. But you've got to know it. You've got to know that it's there. If you know that it's there and you know that it's yours, then you go take it. And you don't sit there asking. Know who you are in Christ. Know what is yours because of Jesus. And every good thing that God has placed in you by Jesus. Every good thing. You need to know every good thing that God has put on the inside of you. You need to be able to rattle these things. You need to become highly educated on what good things are in you. What things are yours and who you are in Christ Jesus. We too often are too sin conscious. We are conscious of our failings. We are conscious of our what we have done to let God down. Why we're no good. All the bad things that we've done. All the ineffective things we've done. If you were to ask somebody, how well do you know the word? Oh, not very well. No, I don't know the word very well. How good are you? Your spiritual armor? Oh, I'm terrible. How good are you at spiritual warfare? Not very good at all. You don't want me on your team. <laughs> you know, these are the kind of conversations that Christians have. They, they have this view. They think it's being humble. They think, it's, no, stand up. Be like a David who goes, hey, I can take that guy on. Be like a Joshua says, hey, I can take that mountain. Be like a Caleb. I'll take that. That's a tough area. I'll go after that one. 
That's what you got to be. Now, when most of us got here today, we got here because of our cars. So I'm going to use an example of cars for you. I heard this example given to me, and um, I love this example. I think I've used it a few times before. But when you have your your car and you have your your keys to that car, right? What happens if you can't find your keys? You ain't going anywhere. <laughs> you got to find them keys. But you find your keys and you have your car. Your car is capable of great things, isn't it? It can get you all kinds of places. You can go for miles because you have a car. You'd be tired if you had to walk there, run there, bike there, but you got a car. You can go with that car and you can pick up stuff and not have to carry it home. The car carries it home. car carries you home and it. Isn't it great? Cars are wonderful. Aren't you glad you didn't grow up in the days when the cars weren't here? Love cars. But you got cars, you got keys. What's the car have that the key goes into? Has an ignition. And so in order to get the car to tap into the power that the car has to do what you wanted to do, you take the right keys and you put it into the ignition. But it doesn't stop there, does it? You got to do something. You got to turn it. Now, this example is going to be a thing in the past because more and more cars are coming out where you just, you know, you get in the car and you push the button. You just got to have the little pot in your hand. I understand that's happening, but my truck still works on a key. And some of you have still have the ones that are, are key. And you have that in the ignition and you put it in and you, you turn it. And it goes. And you're empowered. And if you go up to your neighbor's house and they're standing there looking at the car, can't get it to go. Well, where are the keys? Isn't that the first thing you say? Well, where are the keys? What the what? <laughs> no, you got to have the keys. So we understand that with the car. The car needs the keys and needs the ignition. Now, it needs a whole lot of other things. But basically, all that we interacted with in our way over here was the car, the keys, and the ignition. We didn't really interact with a whole lot of other stuff. We put the key in, we turned, car went over, and we drove here. Well, we're going to put into some practical areas for you on this one. The key, the key to that car is the Word of God. The key to that car is the Word of God. The ignition of that car is your mouth. The key is the Word. The ignition is your mouth. The key is put into the ignition and you turn it. How do you turn the, the key that is the Word in your mouth, how do you turn the ignition? You speak the word. And you turn it over. It doesn't do you any good to have the word and to have a mouth. You have to take that mouth and speak that word. If you don't take the mouth, your mouth, and speak that word, then your car goes nowhere. It's not very effective. The good things in you are activated every time you go out there and you confess the word. Every time that you go out there and confess the word. And you got to make these things real in your life. It's very real to us. I take the keys, put it in the ignition, turn it, and I go to work. I go to church. I go to the store. I go wherever it is I want to go. It's very clear to us for that. You want to make these things real in your life? These things are in the word of God? You want to become effective? Thoroughly know them through Diligent study. Study the Word of God. Don't just casually study it. 
I mean, get in there. I'm going to study this Word. I'm going to get this stuff down. I am going to know this. I am going to understand this. I'm going to... How many, how many hockey fans do we have? We're going to be missing some hockey here this, this year so far. We don't have any hockey really going on. But I was a hockey fan. I came in to be a hockey fan when the Flyers first came into the league. I was around here then when the Flyers first became a team and, and all that stuff was going on. And Bobby Clark was there and he was a member and, and uh, all the, you know, Bernie Perrant and all that stuff going on. But when we were watching hockey, they came up with one of the best concepts, which is gone now. It is nowhere around. They've tried to do other things, but it is not as effective. How many of you remember Peter Puck? <laughs> Peter Puck. Peter Puck, what he would do is that he would come on during breaks in the game. And Peter Puck would explain to you the rules. Now, if you don't know hockey, how many have ever watched a hockey game? Anybody ever watched a hockey game? How many do not know what icing is? <laughs> so many people watch hockey and have no idea what icing. Icing is a basic call in hockey, and yet most people have no idea what icing is. They just see that the puck goes down the other end and... Whistle blows and they say, I seen, and they pick up the puck and they bring it on back. Well, Peter Puck, he showed up and he explained what icing is. I still remember to this day how he explained icing. And it really helped out a whole lot. Icing is simply when the puck crosses two lines and then goes behind the goal on the other side of the team, the, the, your offensive side. If you hit that puck and it crosses two lines, and then goes behind the goal, it is icing. You can't cross that many lines. Now, for a while, I think for a little bit, it was three. Then they cut it down to two. They changed things. They used to have two-line passes. That's pretty obvious. But you didn't, if you didn't know, people would watch hockey. And I would watch hockey with so many people. And they'd say, what is icing? And I'd explain it to them what icing is. It's a basic concept. But you've got to know. You've got to become educated. You've got to study. You've got to find out, how can I get these concepts? So that they are down on the inside. Because icing does not have any life-giving properties. It does not help you out in life at all. It helps you when you watch a hockey game. And then pretty much nothing else after that. That's, that's really it. We, we play hockey on Tuesday night. We don't have an icing rule. There is no icing when we play. So it only matters when we're watching the guys in the, in the pro level. And you know they whistle the dead and all that sort of stuff. But there are principles in the word of God that would help you out. If you would know them. But you got to know them. You got to understand them. And you can. And the Spirit is here to help. All you need to do is put out some effort. Study. And the Holy Spirit will come in and He'll help you out. How many of you studied English, math, science, and didn't do so well? <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is here to enlighten you to truth. You didn't have the Holy Spirit to help you with math. Science, English, all those other things. But He is here to help you with the Word of God. He is empowered to reveal truth to you. That's one of His things. He is the revealer of truth. Thoroughly know, th know them through diligent study. Number two, put these truths into your mouth. When you learn a truth, put it into your mouth. And then, number three, speak it out loud. Speak it out loud. Most prayers only need to be the speaking of Scripture. You don't need to come up with some elaborate words. Most prayers to be effective 
only need to be reciting Scripture. Scripture that applies itself to your situation. That's all you need to know. I'm feeling depressed today. Oh, I need to go to prayer. I'm going to spend time in prayer. Dear God, I feel so depressed today. I feel so down. Oh, dear Lord, dear Lord, please take this depression away from me. Oh, I want to have an uplifting day. Oh, Father God, please come in and fill my spirit with life. Fill my spirit with joy. What a waste of time. Brother Hagin used to tell us, that you make prayers like that, you may as well just sit there and say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, do just as much good. It's a waste of time. Oh, but I meant it fervently. Good, you were wrong. The Word of God is effective fervently, but actually it is empowered. In order for your prayers to be empowered, another force needs to come alongside and empower them. If it was self-powered, it wouldn't use this word. It is empowered. The Holy Spirit will come. He will give you knowledge of the, the Word of God. If you have a, a problem with, say, depression. Oh, I'm feeling depressed. Stop praying about it. And go to the Word of God. What's the Word of God say about that? Oh, these things I do that your joy may be full. Glory to God. Father, I thank you that my joy is full. I've made a prayer. I didn't spend a half hour. I didn't even spend five minutes. I made one prayer. It was effective. Father God, I thank you that my joy is made full. And I go off from there. And you know what I do? I make sure that I don't take the keys out of the ignition. Because that would be bad. And so when I'm going on and I feel depressed, you know what I do? Glory to God. <laughs> My joy is full. Short. I, I go along a little bit later. I feel depression trying to get a hold of me. I thank God. My joy is full. How many of you ever had trouble loving somebody in your family? <laughs> I knew we hit a home run on that one. <laughs> it's only family people you had trouble loving. I mean, other people, you just you don't like them, you don't go near them. But family, you're always near them. And you got these certain family members, and oh, I'm just having such a hard time loving this family. They're just so ornery, they're so obnoxious, they're so whatever it might be. And so you go and you, uh, oh dear God, I'm going to that family thing today. Oh, I need your love just to come up on the inside of me. I need to be loving to them. And, and you pray for a half hour on these kind of things. And you go out there to the family get, get together. And what comes up on the inside of you? Anger. And they say something and it just tips you off. Oh, you are so mad. You are so angry at them. That prayer wasn't very effective, was it? What should you have done? Allowed your prayer to be empowered. And what's the word of God say? The love of God has been poured out in your heart. Father God, I thank you that today, as always, the love of God is poured out in my heart. And then you go off. Go off to that thing and you begin to think, I'm going to see Aunt Susie or sister or brother or uncle or whatever it might be. I'm going to see so and so. Thank God the love of God is poured out in my heart. I had the love of Jesus coming out. When I walk into that room, the love of God is going to flow out of me. Glory to God. And then the enemy will come along and try and get you to focus on the aunt, the uncle, the whoever. Yeah, but you know how they're going to say something. They're going to be rude. They're going to be obnoxious. They're going to do things. The love that I have is not based on them. The love that I have is based on the giver of that love, and that is Jesus. That is God the Father. And that love is perfect. 
Glory to God. The love of God has been poured out in my heart. That means I have it. It's in me. And it comes out of me. And this is the kind of things you do. And you keep on going. You keep the, the key in the ignition. See, a lot of times we go in to pray and maybe we get the prayer right. Maybe somehow we hit on the thing and we get the prayer right. We pray, thank God the love of God is in me. And then we go on out there. Oh, I hope they don't do this because if they do this, I'm just going to fly off the handle. <laughs> what did you do? I took the key out of the ignition. And I get there and I find out it's not effective. Why? Because I stopped the empowering. The effective fervent prayer, you ought to just scratch that whole thing right out. The empowered prayer. The empowered prayer. When another beside you comes along and empowers your prayer. They don't have to be long. But they will work. And then when you go from there, this is real important. This is so important. When you leave the prayer closet, when you leave the prayer room, where you leave wherever it was that you were praying, don't speak against what you prayed. That's taking the key out of the ignition. Don't do it. That's taking the Word of God out of your mouth. That's putting something else in there. Keep the Word in your mouth. Yeah, but you don't know the thoughts that are going through my head. I don't care about the thoughts that are going through your head. The Word of God says, if you do not doubt in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. What's important is what's going down in your spirit, what's going down in your heart, not what's going on in your head. Don't let your head disqualify you. What's going on with what's down on your heart? What's down on the inside? And you keep speaking the word. Every time that you have a thought contrary to what it is that you prayed, you speak the word. You don't sit there and ask, oh God, it looks like I need more love. No! Stop that! You're being ineffective. Simply say, Father, I thank you. The love of God has been poured out in my heart. And that's what comes out of me. It's the love of God. And every time another thought comes in, say it again. And if it comes in again, say it again. And if it comes in again, say it again. And make sure that out of your mouth only comes what the Word of God said. And you will be empowered. Out of your mouth only comes the Word of God. In your head, hey, you can't help what comes in your head. In your head, you're going to be thinking, oh, if they do this. Nope, immediately out of my mouth. I, in my heart, it's been poured out the love of God. If you need verses of Scripture, go to the Word of God and study it. I'm going to study this love thing out. I'm going to study this, this uh, joy thing out. I'm going to find out what the Word of God has to say about this. And I'm going to pray effectively. You don't need to spend 30 minutes, an hour in prayer to take care of a certain thing. Jesus got people raised up from the dead and didn't even use a whole sentence. How much more can, can we do? You are empowered with more than you know. But you don't know what you have. When you don't know what you have, it's like having a smartphone and all you make it do is answer calls. Why have one? Why spend the money on a smartphone and get a little cheap thing answer calls? If you're going to have the phone, let it work for you. If you're going to have the Word of God in you, let it work for you. Out of your mouth. Out of your mouth. Speak it. You got the empowering. You got the Word of God. And you got your mouth. You want the empowering to go on? Get the Word to keep coming out of your mouth. How many have a situation that needs to be changed? 
Now, you think about this yourself. Think about your situation. How many times has out of your mouth come words that concur that that situation is ongoing? How many have out words coming out of your mouth that concur that that situation is stronger than you? How many have words coming out of your mouth that concur that you are bewildered as to why that situation continues? Should I keep going? I could. <laughs> Every single one of those situations is against the Word of God. You're not, if you speak those things, you're not speaking the Word. And that's why there's no empowering. Ignition, key, empowering. Ignition, key, empowering. You've got that great vehicle in your driveway. And you are empowered to use it. All you need is the key and the ignition. And your prayers can be effective. The car that God has given us, the empowering that He has given us, is not a Flintstone mobile. It's not the thing we got the little feet going on underneath to make it going down the road. It's not empowered by you. It's empowered by something outside of you. And all you need to get it to go is the key and the ignition. What's the key? The Word of God. What's the ignition? Your mouth. The key needs to be in the ignition and it needs to be engaged. When the key is in the ignition and it's engaged, empowering goes on. If you want the empowering to stop, take the key, take the Word out of your mouth. You take the Word out of your mouth, the empowering stops. You put the Word in your mouth, the empowering goes on. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, the empowered word, the empowered <laughs> prayer of a righteous man avails much. It avails much. Don't take the key out of the ignition. Don't do it. Just stand up with me. Father, we thank you for the key that you have given us, the word of God. We thank you for the ignition that is our mouth. And your word will not depart from our mouth. Just as the scripture said in the book of Proverbs, this book of the law, or the book of Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Oh, Father God, the book of the law should not depart from our mouth. Oh, it needs to be in our mouth. We need to constantly be speaking the Word. We need to constantly be saying the Word. And when we get into prayer and we speak the words in our prayer, we need to go out from there and every time a contrary thought comes out, we speak the Word. No, the Word of God said this. This is what I, this is what I prayed for. This is what I asked for. This is what is mine. I do walk in joy. I do walk in love. I do walk in prosperity. I do walk in health. I do walk in all the things that my God has told me I walk in. I know what is mine. I know what has been given to me. I know what I have access to because I have studied the word. And you will not take what I know is mine. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the help that you give us. We are empowered. We are righteous. And we are ready to see our prayers change. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.